Hey, you brought a Bible with you? Say yes. And Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, is where we're located this morning. Luke, chapter 22. If you're visiting with us, we've been going verse by verse through Luke's Gospel. And this morning, we find ourselves talking specifically about a time known as Passover. Now, this is in a subject series entitled The Great Coronation. See, God the Father has actually coronated Christ, His Son, and given Him a kingdom to be established here upon the earth. And you and I are currently living between the first and the second coming of Jesus. And what we want to do is make sure that we are faithful to accomplish what God has called us to do. And the reason we want to be faithful is because whenever Jesus comes again, the responsibility that you and I have in the kingdom will be determined based upon our faithfulness to live for Christ in the here and now. So we're excited about what God's teaching us, and we're going to look today as Jesus talks to us a little more about Passover. So Luke chapter 22, go ahead and stand with me in honor of God's word this morning, beginning in verse 1. If you got it there in front of you, say amen. And uh, Luke 22 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put Jesus to death, for they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray Jesus to them. They were glad and agreed to give him some money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, so that we may eat of it. And they said to him, Well, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room, prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as Jesus had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now when the hour had come, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. Let's bow together. Father, we do thank you for your word and ask that you would wash us and make us clean. Set us aside by the power of the gospel that we might live as sanctified people, glorifying you so that others might come to know the truth of who you are. And God, we thank you for our time together this morning and just pray that you would speak to every heart, draw those who are outside of the faith into the faith, and encourage those who do know you to remain steadfast to what you have called them to do. And we'll give you glory for it. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. So you can uh, be seated this morning. 
But I will say to you, uh, by way of introduction, that I am not a huge fan of hospitals, not a big fan of needles, and then I would also say I'm not a big fan of blood. Anybody else on the same page with me, if you'll slip a hand up? God bless all of you. You just volunteered for the hospital team, all right? It's amazing, right? Uh, you and I, who aren't big fans of those kinds of things, would have found that the celebration of Passover would have been very difficult for us to stomach. And the reason is because it was one of the bloodiest times in the temple throughout the entire year. In fact, everyone would travel into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover meal. And there would be somewhere around a million people who would have left their home and they would have traveled into the city for this great celebration. And the main course for the celebration was lamb. You know, you and I celebrate Thanksgiving, we have turkey. But for the Passover meal, they would have lamb. Now, they would celebrate this particular Passover meal, remembering God's protection over Israel during the days in which they were oppressed by Egypt. In Exodus chapter 12, we learn about the occasion. The Lord God was going to send Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of Egyptians' bondage. And there was one last plague where God was going to send a death angel into Egypt to actually slay individuals in their homes. But God told Israel, here's what I want you to do so that the death angel will pass over you. I want you to take an unblemished, spotless lamb, and I want you to slay it, take its blood, and put it over the doorpost of your home. And then when the death angel passes it through, the death angel will spot the blood and will then pass over your house, and you will be saved. Now, this was an event that occurred in Israel's history. And from that day forward, after God did indeed save His people and lead them out of Egyptians' bondage, they were to commemorate that day with a celebration known as Passover, often also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this was a day in which individuals would travel into Jerusalem and the head of the household, if that were you, you would have brought an unblemished, spotless lamb to the temple and you would have presented it before the priest. Now, it seems like this would be a very easy occasion, but that is not the case. You've got to think about all of the families who were coming to the temple at one time one commentator says that they would blow a ram's horn to signify the event. So everyone would travel to the temple, and the temple was not like Concord, a small building. It was a massive building. And they would have lined up all of the priests, which there would be hundreds of them. They would be dressed in their priestly garments, their long robes. And they would be in a line, and the head of the household would bring the lamb and present it before the priest. And then the priest would check the lamb to make sure that it was spotless, to make sure that it was without blemish. And if it were so, he would lay his hand on the lamb, and then often he would lay his hand upon the head of the household, and he would pray that God would treat the lamb as if the lamb had committed all of the sin of that member and his household. And then at the same time, one commentator says around 250,000 lambs would have their throat slit in two. And then they would capture all of the blood from that lamb. And uh, some commentators believe that they would actually take the blood and just continue to push it down from priest to priest, from bowl to bowl, until it finally came to the altar. And then they would splatter the blood on the altar. It was a signify that God was, in that moment, making atonement for the sin of Israel for that year. Now, this was a bloody event. 
If you were to run into one of the priests on this particular day, his white robe, which he had put on earlier that morning, would have been stained blood red from top to bottom. He would have spent most of the day slaying lambs. And then once the lamb was slain, they would take the innards of that lamb, they would place it on another altar, and they would offer that up to the Lord as a burnt sacrifice. And then they would take that lamb and give it back to the head of the household, and the head of the household would then, he would actually cook the lamb, and then they would get together as a family, and they would eat the Passover meal and celebrate remembering how God freed Israel from Egyptians' bondage. Now this was the case in Luke chapter 22. They were preparing themselves to go into a time of Passover. And it's pretty awesome what Jesus does. He tells two of his disciples, that would be Peter and John, to prepare a room for the Passover meal. So he tells them what to do. Go into the city. And whenever you go into the city, you will see a man carrying a pitcher of water. That's the man who's going to lead you to the place. Now, it seems like this would not be uncommon to see a man carrying a pitcher of water. But it was royally uncommon. The reason is because most men would spend their days in the fields and the lady of the house was the one who would go to the well and get the water and bring it back to the house. This is very common in many primitive cultures even today. I have seen this firsthand overseas in Africa where the children and the mothers of the home would go out through the day catching the water and bringing it back to the home and then the man would come home. So Peter and John would enter into the city and they would see a man carrying water. This man would stand out, stick out like a sore thumb. And they would go to him and say, the teacher says, and we are here to prepare the Passover. And he'll lead you to a room. And that's exactly what he did. The Bible says they found it just as Jesus said it would be. And it was awesome, too, how they would do this in those particular days. And you've got to think about it. If you were uh, living in Jerusalem, and you know every single year there was going to be this celebratory event known as the Passover, and people were coming in, and they needed a place to stay you would make your house available. This is a way for you to make a little extra money. Are y'all listening? And so this is what they would do. They would actually build on the top of their square, sometimes rectangle clay huts, an extra room. And they would apply a ladder or a staircase that would lead up to that extra room so that people could come and they could go to the top, the upper room, and they could celebrate the Passover. And Peter and John were going to get it ready. And here's what's awesome. They not only had to have the lamb ready, but whenever you prepared the home for the Passover meal, you had to have a broom in your hand. And the reason you had to have a broom is because you had to sweep out the home and make absolutely certain that there was no leaven in the home. See, leaven in the Old Testament and even in places in the New is considered evil. And so the idea of sweeping the leaven out was a reminder to them that they were to consecrate their own lives before God in preparation for the Passover meal. So this is what's going on. Now, I want you to think about this, because this is where it gets awesome. Are y'all with me? Say yes. Y'all with me? Say yes. There was like four of y'all. All right, stick with me. Here's the deal. All, and you've got to picture it in your, mind, in your mind. All of the men who were the head of their households were bringing their lambs to the temple. But before the foundation of the world, God had already prepared his lamb to be slain at Passover. John the Baptist saw him coming, didn't he? Uh, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
See, Jesus Christ is the Lamb that was prepared even before the foundation of the world to come into the world and be a Passover sacrifice for all of humanity. And this is what occurred. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7 that Jesus Christ is our Passover Lamb. And while Israel was preparing for Passover, God the Father had already prepared for Passover. Now here's what I want you to see this morning. And this is where it gets legit and real for us, all right? So look at me eyeball to eyeball. God had called Jesus to accomplish a certain task. We've already made the application that God has called the New Testament church to accomplish a certain task. We are to be about making disciples everywhere. We also know that God, in His sovereignty, has called every individual follower of Jesus to accomplish a certain task. So if you are a follower of Christ, God has ordained it that you would be involved in ministry and mission. And so you and I have already learned together how we should be praying. God, break our heart for what breaks yours. And when we pray in this manner, God begins to birth in us a desire for ministry and mission to do what God's created and saved us to do. And that's different for all of us, but it all points to the mission of making disciples. And as we go forth to accomplish God's task, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are going to need courage. And so we pray, God, give us courage that we might remain steadfastly devoted to your call. Jesus prayed in this manner in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember him there as he was kneeling down under those olive trees, praying, Oh God, if this cup can pass from me, nevertheless not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus was praying, in effect, for courage. Give courage and grace to accomplish the task at hand. And Jesus knew he was going to the cross. And you and I need courage to accomplish what God's called us to do. And as we move forward to accomplish the very call of God upon our lives, you and I are going to face great opposition, great inspection, great difficulty. And what we're about to see with Jesus is that he is about to enter in the most difficult time of his entire life in ministry. And as we look at Jesus, you and I are going to be encouraged that as we follow after the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are going to face difficulties as well. But there are two truths that I believe God wants to apply to your heart today from the text. So are you all ready for them? Say yes. Here goes the very first truth, and I love it. You and I must remain stubbornly obedient to God's call. Stubbornly obedient to God's call upon our life. And this is found in the text. And I want you to see first that Usually whenever we think about being stubborn, we think about disobedience. But here I want you to see that Jesus was stubbornly obedient to God the Father's call upon his life. Jesus knew he was headed for the cross. He knew he was about to bear, and you've got to listen. Are you all listening? Say yes. He knew that he was about to bear the weight of God the Father's just wrath against sin upon his own body. So Jesus knew he was going to the cross to bear the penalty of man's sin, which is death. He knew it. The shadow of the cross was looming. Only a few days from now, he will be on the cross. And he was stubbornly obedient, even in the midst of difficulty. Now, some people have a, a trouble in their brains figuring how Jesus could be obedient to God the Father. But the Bible teaches us, Paul the Apostle writing, Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus Christ, without a doubt, is God in the flesh. But the Bible teaches that he laid aside his divine nature 
And he lived as a man in humble obedience to God the Father. And he was obedient, the Bible says, even to the point of death. So Jesus understood something, and I want you to listen to this closely. He understood that he would have to wear a cross before he would ever wear a crown. And ladies and gentlemen, that is true of us as well. If we are going to live for Jesus Christ in this current day and age, we are going to face opposition. There are going to be difficulties. There are going to be days when we have to realize that before there is ever a kingdom which will come, you and I have to face great difficulty. Jesus faced it. And as we look at Jesus being stubbornly obedient, even in the face of opposition, I want you to know when he was stubbornly obedient. And we'll see how these might apply to you this morning. First of all, I want to encourage you to be stubbornly obedient when rumors are circulating. When rumors are circulating. Look at verse 2 in your Bible. This is awesome. Luke 22, verse 2. The Bible says the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put Jesus to death. So here they are, gathering, conspiring, trying to figure out a way to bring Jesus down. They were trying to figure out a way to make Jesus look bad in front of all of the people. You see, the leadership of Jesus Christ, his influence had grown so rapidly there in Jerusalem that the religious elite became extremely jealous. And they wanted Jesus to be done away with. And so they would get together and begin to create rumors to try to stir people's attention away from the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But I'm encouraged that Jesus did not give up. He remained stubbornly obedient to God. And I want you to listen to this. When you follow after God's call upon your life, you are going to find that there will be difficulties and even to the point where there may be rumors that circulate about you that are not true. And if you're not careful, you may look to God and say, God, all of these people are saying this and saying that, and none of this is true. Why aren't you doing anything? Lord, I am totally quitting right now. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus remained completely, stubbornly obedient to the call of God upon his life. And that has to be your stubborn obedience too. So even when people are talking junk about you at the workplace, even when people are talking junk about you and your family for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not a time for you to throw it to the side and give up on what God's calling you to do. You remain steadfastly, stubbornly obedient to God. That's our call. So we're not only stubbornly obedient when rumors are circulating, but we're also stubbornly obedient, and I love this one, when our close friends turn on us. Are y'all out there saying, yeah? When our close friends turn on us. Just thought of something funny. My buddy Mark Boggs is here this morning, right? Mark Boggs called, Mark, slip your hand up so everybody knows who you are. There he is. God, but now put your hand down. All right. So, Mark invited me over, I think it was Monday night, is that right? To uh, shoot a hog in his house. Not in his house, outside of his house. Are y'all listening? And so he called me over and he had a deer stand set up and trap set up and all of these things. I don't know if it's legal for us to do this or not. We were good, God bless you, before I continue to share. And we put this online. So here I am, I climb up in a deer stand and sit down and he's already warned me not to say anything. We had to be very quiet. And then he gave me the binoculars so I could look out for the hog. I whispered over to him, this is the first time I've ever been in a deer stand. And I felt alive. Are y'all listening? But as I was standing, 
I realized when I was looking over at one point that he had the gun pointed directly at my face. <laughs> and it made me think of this passage of Judas. <laughs> May Mark be ever on my side. Can I get a witness on that? <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have shared that. Look at verse 3 through 6. When close friends turn on us, thankfully Mark didn't, but I want you to see that Judas did. The Bible says Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away in disgust with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. So Jesus here is facing external opposition, but he's also facing great internal opposition. One of those who had been following Jesus for the past three to three and a half years, who had witnessed Jesus do miracles, who had listened to Jesus preach unbelievable sermons, the greatest messages ever delivered on the planet Earth. Here Judas had heard all of this, but now with greed in his heart, swayed by the devil himself, he was turning against the Lord Jesus Christ, one who was closest to him. It reminds me, Judas, who is inspired and controlled by Satan himself, was seeking a way to destroy the Lord Jesus. As I look at this and study this text of Scripture, I think, what would it be like? To be in mission and ministry with someone and be so close, so tight that we pray together, we sweat together, we struggle together. And then all of a sudden, they turn on you. Judas did that with Jesus. What heartbreak there must have been. There is a fact, and I want you to listen to it. Not everyone who starts in the ministry and mission with you will stay with you until the end. And this is true of Jesus' life. It's also true of Paul the Apostle's life. So Paul writes to Timothy, that young pastor, and listen to what he says. He says, make every effort to come to me very soon. And then he says, for Demas, who is an individual man, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And then Paul says, at my first defense, no one supported me. Listen to what he says. But everyone deserted me. See, Paul the apostle understood that not everybody who starts in ministry mission with him would finish with him. This is true in your life as well. It's true in my life. And whenever we face these particular days, these are the days where we have to remain stubbornly obedient to God's call. Will you... Stay faithful to God even when people are saying things about you that are untrue. Hey, will you stay faithful to God even when some of those who have been closest to you over the years turn from you? Jesus gives us the example, doesn't he? Stubborn obedience. Here's point number two. Remain steadfastly devoted to the gospel message. Remain steadfastly devoted to the gospel message. Now, Jesus remains steadfastly devoted to the gospel in the sense that he is the gospel. He took the bread and said in verse 19, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the unblemished, perfect lamb of God would have his body broken as our substitute. That is, Jesus in his body would bear the punishment of God for our sins. Now why is this? Why must there be a sacrifice? Why must an individual perish for me? 
And here's the reason. God is a just and holy God, and He cannot and will not look at sin. And because God is just, and because He is the judge, He must judge sin. And you and I have sin. The Bible says, for the wages of our sin is death. So for all of our hard work of sinning, we get a paycheck, and that paycheck is death. The second death, the death that separates us from God forever and casts us into hell. That's the death that all of us deserve. And so what we need is an unblemished, perfect individual who does not need to die for his own sin, but a perfect individual who can bear the punishment on our behalf. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus came, he went to the cross, his body is broken, and God poured out his wrath on his own son. The wrath that you deserve, the wrath that I deserve. He took a cup in verse 20 and said, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. You know, think about the bloody event of Passover and how uh, somewhere around 250,000 and more lambs were slain at the temple. That bloody picture. Then you go directly to Calvary, and there at Calvary, as the blood falls from his head, as the blood falls from his hands and his feet and his side and his back, as the blood trickles down his body and bounces off of the desert ground, that's his blood being shed for you. And sitting in a church service very similar to this, I heard the good news of Jesus Christ and what he had done to die for me. And under deep conviction, which simply means I came to realize that I was a sinner and could not save myself, not religious enough, not good enough. And I had to trust in Jesus Christ who had died for me. And the day that I did that, God the Father applied the blood of His Son to the doorpost of my life so that when the second death does come, it will pass over me because of the blood. And we sing it, don't we? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, it was a bloody event that day when Jesus died for you. When Jesus enacted a new covenant, Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Year after year, day after day, they would sacrifice bulls and lambs and pigeons and doves and all of these sacrifices going on and on without stop. The priests with their sleeves rolled up. The priests never seen sitting down because it was thought their work was never done. They were working, working, working. Then Jesus came, the ultimate, final, complete sacrifice, and the whole temple was changed. Aren't y'all glad? I cannot imagine what it would be like if you came to church today with a lamb. Are y'all listening? Jesus died for you. And now as we come together to celebrate this Lord's Supper, you've got to pay very close attention. This Lord's Supper, this bread represents His body. This cup represents His blood. This Lord's Supper is instituted for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. This Lord's Supper is not for those, perhaps, who are here today who do not have a relationship with Jesus. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, please do not take the Lord's Supper. The Bible says you will drink judgment to yourself. You'll eat judgment to yourself. So, well, Levi, why in the world you tell us that? That makes some people feel uncomfortable because I'm trying to help you. Right? Now, here's the awesome news. If you don't know the Lord, 
the gate is wide open. You can still be saved. The Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you may be like me sitting here today in church and finally for the first time realize that you are a sinner and you now understand that Jesus died for you, was buried and resurrected, and you want to confess him as Lord. And when you do this, you are completely forgiven of all your sin, past, present, and future, all because of the blood of Jesus Christ, which God the Father applies to your spiritual account. <laughs> That's grace. Some of you can receive that today. And then the supper's yours, man. We celebrate in this supper because it reminds us of what Jesus did. And it also brings us together in unity as a body. And some of you need Christ. And you may just be hanging out today, visiting, and you realize you need Christ. Listen, I'm encouraging you to make a decision to follow Him while there's still time. Those of you who are followers of Christ, before they celebrated the Passover meal, they swept the building out. Can I say to you as a follower of Jesus, now's the time for you to pick up your broom. Confessing your sin before the Lord. That which has caused you to not experience the fellowship which God sent Jesus to die for. And man, the Bible says if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So for you who are followers of Jesus, maybe you just need to sweep some stuff out this morning before you partake of this supper. Well, we're going to prepare our hearts now, so let's bow. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to lives.